AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients. And what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing the fighting cock, for example. One scoop once a day before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee, but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started and to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. Or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Your plans? Today, it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. 
or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. <gasps> or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Fighting Cock podcast. Today I'm joined by Alan Fisher who runs Tottenham On My Mind. I'm just mind blank for a second. Tottenham On My Mind and... Yeah, many people say that when they read the blog here. And I like the way it runs. It is just me. There is nothing else. Yeah, but thanks Flav. The nah, big build up. I like it. It's absolutely, I, I think up there with uh, the very best blogs if not the plus I'm just saying good it's because you're here but yeah. it is really good uh, and uh, Spookies is good as well because you'll be listening to this and go it is, well, why? Yeah, it is good it yeah. is good uh, and uh, Martin Cloak obviously chair of the trust as everyone knows um, but also author and journalist and it's important to highlight that because you two have come together to write a book called A People's History of Tottenham Hotspur hello and if I don't say co-chair Kat will kill me when she comes back from Monaco so okay so yeah fair enough she's having a she's having a jolly in, in uh in Monaco, so, yeah. nice work if you can get it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want to talk too much about what's been happening at Tottenham in terms of form because I want this to be as evergreen as possible. And at the moment, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty tough work being a Spurs fan. So, I mean, one of the ways I kind of ma- managed to equalise that feeling of dread uh, when Spurs are playing through a particularly bad period is to think about some of the things around the football club, the cultures, the, the history of our club, and and what's beautiful about it because we can only do so much as fans to 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 enjoy we can only to, to find a way of enjoying Tottenham and not relying completely relying completely on on the 11 men on the pitch and the manager on the, on the touchline so I was quite excited to to talk about this book because it's about history of, 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 of from the fans perspective and almost chronicling the fans importance on on uh, understand uh, you know chronicling that that, that time frame from when we set up in 1882, the lads around the, the, the gas mm. the gas lamp and all that, to, to the modern day. And there's been a massive, huge shifts and transitions during that period. And it's an interesting football club, Tottenham. There's, there's, all, there's always something to talk about on the pitch, but off the pitch we've gone through many transitions as well. So I think that's what this podcast is going to be about. It's fascinating and you don't have to worry about the modern day and things that are happening and you can kind of enjoy some of the things that have made our football club great. Alan and Martin, why don't you start by telling us, kind of give us a synopsis around what what the book's about. I think it was an idea that both of us had had in, in, in different ways for a while, which was to try and tell the, the story of a, of a football club. And we chose Spurs because obviously we're Spurs fans. I think a lot of clubs could do this, but there is something we found, I think, that is even more unique to Spurs when we were writing it. Not not that we would say that, wouldn't we? Yeah. We would. Um, and I think one of the interesting things goes back to what, what you said when you were teeing this up earlier, that that actually, you know, we are all really into the kind of, well, a lot of us are really into the support of culture and the stuff that goes around it. And there's the old joke about, you know, going to the away game at Spurs is a good day at sport when, when it's a football and uh, all the rest of it. Possibly no more true than, uh, you know, in the last week. Um, 
But it, it's a weird thing to do, and it's a tough challenge because actually, what we all nobody goes to watch the fans. Nobody in the end is really that interested in the fans. We're there to watch the eleven blokes attempt to kick a ball about in a vaguely organised way and be entertaining on the pitch. So writing a book about how supporters shape a football club, you just think like, are you kind of being a little bit too big for your boots in a way there? And I think the more that we looked at it, the more we realised that, that there was that kind of thing that was special uh, over the years about how Spurs has been identified with by its fans. So, you, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the local school kids, you know, setting up the, the, the team in the early days. And the odd thing about Spurs, which w- was a bit of a challenge to both of us in terms of where we come from, was that football clubs are kind of known you know it's the working class game and they're the working class clubs it was actually formed by a bunch of middle class kids mm. uh, and the early years of the club are all about the, the the growing suburbs of London and the you know the middle classes moving up and, and out to the green spaces Tottenham and identifying more, with that club Tottenham right? at that time wasn't the place it is now no no t- Tottenham was a, was a desirable village on you know London's a bowl Tottenham is on, on the rim of the bowl at the edge of London it's out of the stink and the the pollution of central London and it was it was the green spaces that you moved out to when you were doing a little bit better for yourself so there was that whole thing that Spurs was identified as a suburban club uh, it was identified as, a, as the club that took, was the pride of the south they called it the, 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 the flower of the south which was taken on the you know the traditional you know industrial working class professional football league clubs as well mm. so even from those early days the fans had this identity about what their club represented and there was that togetherness between the fans and the club which i think we then found was kind of replicated as we as we went through the years and obviously there's a you know there's the sort of before 1939 bit it probably divides into two halves doesn't it it's a book of two halves there's the before 1939 bit and then after the war You've got that kind of, you know, the growth of, of, of consumer culture, the growth of youth culture. You've got loads of different bits splintering out. Football goes much more international as well, mm. and the support changes there. And we, we just tried to sort of look at, at how how the support changed and shaped what the club was, but also what the, what the club meant to the support. I think that was a general idea, wasn't it, Alan? Um, yeah, I hope so, because that's what we've written. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it was picking up on what Martin was saying. I, I think that you, you've got to get this idea that Tottenham... In the uh, late in late Victorian period, was it was a, a place where there was a phenomenal amount of change. There was a, a huge uh, population growth. It was one of the fastest growing areas in terms of population in in the country. Um, there were people coming from all over the place, um, immigrants from within the British Isles mm. and from outside, in particular the uh, Jewish population coming in and. Uh, in the 1880s and the at the turn of the century um, and Tottenham Hotspur played a fundamental role we think in bringing that community together the growth of the football club was linked to the growth of civic pride so um, there's the football club there's the fountain in the high street there's the old dispensary that it was still I think the, the front is actually in front in front of the ground yeah now. and that was all about the civic pride of Tottenham becoming a place becoming an identity and the football club was fundamental in helping it gain that identity then the club had that base people wanted to come and watch the team they wanted to watch football and you had that inclusivity uh, people could feel at home on the terraces it was accessible it was cheap people were welcomed and we've we've not only looked at the social history of that but we've seen how some of that inclusivity pans out as you come through the 30s the 40s right up to the present day mm-hmm. um, where we've talked about the the Spurs and the Yids and the Jewish question so we've looked at some of those themes see what they look like today yeah so 
I think I, I think that would be a good place to start because I've, I love talking about the history of it of the football club. It's an it's an amazing story, and and, and I love the fact that it's a, it's almost like a direct opposite to how Arsenal have formed and why they're such a soulless yeah. football club and and why yeah. they're all yeah, of their and talk about that. Yeah. All, well, all, all of their I didn't intend to actually, but it always just comes out. It, all of their energies are focused on on what happens on the pitch, and and, and there's very little culture around around Arsenal Football Club and, and you have to see what they've had to do around their stadium if you've ever had the unfortunate um, I don't know what the word is but you've been unfortunate enough to have to walk around the Emirates as I did the other day for work and really look at that place when there isn't any football being played and it's a weird, weird it has a weird energy about it they've really forced forced Arsenal onto this kind mm. of identical stadium um, and you hope with Spurs and the new stadium is something that we, we just won't need to do because we're still in our spiritual home. Um, I know where I'm going with this. Didn't mean to go on this uh, tangent about Arsenal, but I can't well, help I mean, myself. That's, that's the, if I can help you out for that. Go for it. That's, you know, one of the things that we thought about, Martin, in the book was um, making a comparison between Spurs and other clubs. And in the end, we decided not to. One reason is that other people, other, other fans, other clubs can write their history. Mm. Another is that our history, uh, the supporters' history, is just so rich that we wanted to just write about us. Yeah. Having said that, I do think that there is um, a difference between ourselves and, say, Arsenal and Chelsea fans. Um, my, my, I quote my, my, my son Tom um, in, in the book, he's about your age, Flav, mm. and he says, you know, Dad, you had that Ricky Villa goal, what have I had? And what he's had is a League Cup victory in 2008 and that's about it yeah. and there's a whole generation of Spurs fans loyal to the core but their loyalty doesn't come from success no there's no glory hunters at Spurs there's no hipsters at Spurs you come because you're loyal to the club and I think that um, I think that the 1880 1882 movement mm. is significant in that because your movement took the history of the club as the heritage, right? This is what we're supporting. We love the shirt. Mm. Um, we've got uh, standards. We've got values. Mm. Um, we're we've got we're an inclusive club. We welcome everybody. We play good football. It's always the Spurs way. This is how you do it. Mm. And you get behind the team, rain or shine, um, a victual defeat wherever we are in the league. Um, and also, you've got that generation of supporters who were brought up in what was as close to a small traditional British football ground as you're ever going to get in the Premier League. Yeah. Your White Hart Lane is small, it's enclosed, and it is magic. It is magnificent. At night, it is your world. There, You can't see out. That is it. And you put those things together, and I think that that gives you a very distinctive um, experience as a Spurs fan. And that's why we talk about doing things the right way. We don't, I hope, many of us don't just want to uh, buy success. No. We want to invest properly, which is what Spurs have always done, uh, or tried to do anyway, um, to, in order to get success. But not to buy, not to be glory hunters. And I think that that's a significant difference. I hope that you're right, that we carry that on in the new ground. I'm just a bit worried that modern football means that everybody is changing and there is the Holy Grail of I'm actually, the, 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 the top four, the Champions League, etc. I'm actually quite fearful of success, actually. I'm yeah, fearful of what yeah, it's going to do yeah. to our club. And it, to some degree, already has. And you remember yeah. the kind of 
the, the kind of levels of expectation that went up when we qualified for the Champions League last time, and it took a while to get over that. You know, there was that period of yeah. poor management under ABB and then under Sherwood and, and that kind of thing. That didn't help, but there's, I think the only club that's really managed to, to kind of ride that storm and come out the other side is, is Man United because their support, especially away from home, is still very good and loud, passionate. But again, looking at Arsenal, looking at Chelsea, and it's, and you've seen what the move to the new stadium for West Ham has done, um, it, it could have a potentially damaging effect. I just hope the club, and it seems that they have, have kind of thought about this process and the move and, and, and the design of the new stadium and the new cup, everyone's really excited about that. And the fact that there's so much positive energy around that end will actually attract and, and people will make an effort to make that a kind of vociferous... Uh, I think I think that's one of the, the the reasons why we wanted to write a book, and whether it comes out, you know, is is for people to judge. I mean, I think before I go into that, one of the other important things that we tried to set out was that we, we called it a people's history rather than the people's history, because there are going to be lots of different takes on this, and we we're not presumptuous enough to think that we know everything, mm. and and our take is particularly one that everyone's going to agree with, and hopefully we can encourage people to to tell their own stories. But I think there is that that sense. I think everyone does feel challenged by by you know, what's happening with modern football and what you need to be successful and the whole business side of it, which we probably a lot of us are not comfortable about, but actually you've got to do that and you've yeah. got to be good at that if you're going to succeed. And we want success for our club. I think people see it as a challenge with the stadium, but to an extent, uh, it, is, it is still in our own hands. We, know, we can shape what the atmosphere in that stadium's like. We can shape what the personality of the club's like. And it may well be that there's, there's, a, there's a bit of resistance to things that the club want to do and there's a little bit of tension as well. Um, but you know, and I, I think you know we were talking a little bit about, about this earlier. That, that I think Spurs fans are quite fiercely protective of their of their personality and reputation. So there's been a lot of rows this season about you know our our flag displays what Spurs fans do. And I know 1882 mm. you know had, had a bit of grief because it's like oh is this this kind of new plastic football stuff? What Spurs fans do is well, sing. And actually we do. That is what we do as well. And we, one of the things we mentioned earlier was that thing that's seen as being very offensive, like when England fans never join in a Mexican wave. And I've always thought that was quite funny. That's that's a kind of a you know bad times to mention it in the context of what's going on at the moment. But you know that kind of like actually we're going to do what we like attitude. Yeah. I think it's quite good that independence of mind. So Spurs fans will always do that, and we won't yeah. be told what to do. We'll say we actually we want to push stuff ourselves. But then we have those arguments among ourselves about you know who's a proper fan, what's the proper way to support as well. All right, but in a way that's healthy, isn't it? Because it's about us shaping our own culture, which was what the point of the book was about. There's, um, so you talked about community just a second ago, Alan, and uh, it's it's one that's always been important to me and kind of something I've seen as I've grown up through and seen the massive change in football from the late 80s through to where we are now and community becoming less and less important and relevant to football clubs as, they're, uh, as they kind of rock it off into this world of global um, syndication of the sport. So... I mean, it, back back in the day, you know, you said the community was the, the club had a role in building Tottenham. You know, the community was important, and at some point through this story, the community become less important. Did you it, through the book? Do you kind of chronicle that or anywhere? Does that come through people's stories and the people you talk mm-hmm. to? Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's another one of the, the, the themes. One of the themes of the book. I mean, we start off by saying. You, you know, to me, one of the most remarkable things is you've got to remember that the, the growth of Spurs. It really that the first sort of stage where it took off was local people coming to watch effectively kids play on a park pitch. I mean, mm. it wasn't much more than that. Um, 
and the stories um, as you get into the um, 18, uh, the late 1880s of 4,000 people coming out to just stand around uh, a, a park pitch, yeah. no different from jumpers for goalposts or Sunday league football and people came because of the good football um, and they came because they wanted to be part of something I think and that's that's carried on what you, you've seen is that the club was part of the growth of Tottenham and Tottenham was part of the growth of the club so the two were inextricably linked um, having said that a lot of it was local I mean most people walked I think to the ground but also the real growth of the club came about because Tottenham was in a good place for transport links you wouldn't think that now having, having to get home but at the time it was a very convenient place um, there were easy links to the city to uh, the north to Essex and Enfield mm. and also west once the, once the tube came so people could come and people really could uh, uh, travel to to watch the Spurs then um, when once we're getting post-war and into the early 60s football culture is changing in line with leisure culture so there was more to do people had cars you could transport you could move around you had a lot more choice um, and at that point you, you had um, uh, people gradually moving out moving out from the, the city centre mm. uh, it was happening all over London now you've got to the point where the club wouldn't give us the figures but I can't imagine I, I can't imagine there are many if any season ticket holders who actually live in N17 now yeah. what you've got through that is one constant and that is the ground and that is why to Martin and I that ground is so important and the fact that we are actually building right next to the current ground um, for me is a phenomenal message that that's where we belong yeah. and that's what unites everybody the fact that we are not moving mm. anywhere is like Daniel Levy gets a lot of stick and I I'm not a massive fan of his per se I my overall feeling when I think about him is certain things that he's done drastically wrong yeah Though he's done yeah. loads of things that are really good, so so this isn't come from anywhere other than just my general feeling. But that to do what he's done to to enable us to stay there, despite the kind of p potential move to Stratford to build a, a project that big and on our doorstep is nothing short of an, a kind of miracle. I don't know how he's managed to pull it off, and how I mean how far down how far back he must I mean he was buying up properties I mean there's some issues there morally and ethically about local business and, and what not but in terms of from a fan of, of Tottenham that, that's an incredible feat surely but I think it, it is and I think it's interesting because you can have as many arguments and discussions as you want about why you know did they ever really want to move to Stratford was it a negotiating ploy was it part of a, a, a bigger kind of double yeah. in the club like I like to think now clever. that that is the case or you know whatever the, you know how much did the fans campaign have an influence did it really do anything at all was it politics was it something else it, it, the truth of these things is usually it's a, it's a little bit of everything mm -hmm. what's interesting now is that because the fact is that we are building that stadium in N17 next to the stadium that we've played in since 1899 and it's formed such an important part uh, of our history and identity is that the club has seen however it happened okay well there's an opportunity there isn't there as well 
So again, there's a challenge to us because they're using that as a marketing thing now as well. There's that, that kind of sense of you know Tottenham being Tottenham, and they've still got a position as in as you said in this kind of global syndicated sport as well. But I think the victory, you know, whether an organisation, whether fan pressure, whether whatever meant that we didn't go to Stratford, the victory is the fact that now the club is building that ground there. But they're not grudgingly doing it. They're going, okay, how do we make the best out of this? Yeah. And we can kind of be suspicious of that as well. But I think what maybe moving on a bit as well that we, we've kind of talked a lot about the sort of overarching themes and one of the things we were worried about when we started doing the book was like is it something that only us two are going to be interested in because we like all the kind of social history and this that and the other and what we tried to do and I hope we have done is get some of the human stories in there as well get some of the people in there uh, and you know we, we've, we've talked to, to crackers who a lot of readers will know about he used to be his old man used to run the ball pub down near Seven Sisters Station and there's yeah. some interesting stories about some of the characters in the 70s and 80s and early 90s that used to go in there which is a you know a side of the support and a side of, of support which a lot of people don't particularly like acknowledging but we want to include in the book well, it's a but part it's, of yeah, history it absolutely yeah. is a part of a history um, you know we've covered you know in bits and pieces elsewhere you know it was Spurs fans who actually started the tradition of European travel of English fans going abroad it's a group of fans who flew fans over to, to the first European campaign in the early 60s uh, but it was also the interview that you did with, with that guy Brian and I think to, to me and I always kind of keep blowing the trumpet about that chapter but that, that, that was somebody that you know being in Tottenham actually meant something to him as a person and it meant something to him as a family and it did form a part of his, of his kind of day to day life in a way that even today with the kind of saturation coverage of football I don't think football still does but I didn't know if you you know I'm sort of taking over from Flavio really. He's going, am, am yeah, I here enough, or what? You know, like, yeah, get yeah, off, you know. Yeah. But, but I think that chapter is, that's one of my favourite parts of the book. Yeah, one, one of, well, not one of, the best thing about doing the book was that everybody's got a story. You know, you, talk, you, you, you go up to some, you start talking about football in general, or maybe not even about football. And you find out very quickly that there are so many Spurs fans around and everybody's got a story. And our only regret is that we couldn't use... Um, as many of those, oh yeah, because mm. we want. I mean, we've got forty, fifty thousand words that we didn't use, so um, that's a shame. But uh, you know, I'm uh, you know I work in the social care, work in foster care, and you know, fact of the matter is that most social care offices are not buzzing with football. Um, and I was just I don't know I was just talking spouting off etc and somebody I know said, well, oh you know you know you really my dad is going to love reading this book, Spurs fan. One thing leads to another. So there I am um, down in Herne Bay in Kent um, meeting Brian Dennis, who's a, a lovely, lovely bloke. He's retired. He's uh, used to live in the central London. He's gone down to, 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 to uh, the coast. Mm. Um, and you go in, his house is immaculate, full of knickknacks. Out in the back garden, there is a few gnomes. There's a nice little pond. Uh, he's gone round that lawn with a pair of nail scissors. Yeah. It's so neat. And he's got a stonking big flagpole, and there was a Spurs flag flying <laughs> in that flagpole. Amazing. Um, and he sits down, and he told me his story, and he doesn't he doesn't didn't mind sharing it. Um, he was um, he was in care, and his family were his dad left. His his mother couldn't manage things. His mother wasn't well, and for a time, they, the whole family was split up. There were a few brothers, so he went to live, I think, in the old Bernardo's homes and uh, in Barkingside. And um, he, they were eventually reunited when his mum was well enough to, to look after all of them. And um, what he says is, he, he, you know, a few of them were already tainted. A few of his brothers, they were Arsenal and they still are. But he came back to Tottenham and Tottenham was part of his life. And uh, Tottenham represented 
his school days, his social life. He used to play. The ground was his was his playground. Mm. He used to sneak in. He used to play around there. He used to mind cars for for people. Um, or as he says, not mind cars. He used to just say they're minding the cars. Then he used to sneak in at half time because they used to open the gates at, at half time. Yeah, that's right. Or he used to sneak in under under the turnstile, and then he used to leave just before the end, get back to the car so he could get the money. And that was their their fish and chip supper, and that was important for him for a bit of buns, but also that was their dinner mm. for the evening. Um, and also, he's not a kind of guy who's going to bang on about it, but it was clearly part of that reunification. Mm. It was part of his identity that, that Tottenham represented his whole family coming together. It was his stability, and Tottenham is part of his life in, in a way that we can barely imagine. Yeah, that's incredible. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, I, the, 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 there's... The, the, the idea, it's, it's that it's that idea that it's much more than a football club, and football's much more than the game, and it and, and it offers value and, and, and importance to people's life that goes far beyond what Sky Sports, Sky Sports could ever uh, portray. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of as fans we've come to come to a position now where we've allowed Sky Sports to just do what they do. You know, you're going to give us the football that we need. But by and large, we understand that you have no clue what fan culture is all about. Um, and it's stories like that that are incredible and need to be told. Yeah. Yeah, because right. because that story, it tells you what a football fan yeah. is, not not the what the mainstream media would have, have you believe. Yeah. But it's what a lot of us do what we do, isn't it? And it's this idea that that's the challenge to the people who run the game now. Is is that that I think you know if you're the owner of a football club, say like, I've paid like you know X million billion quid for this club, right? I own it. I run it. So, can you? Uh, well, actually, we we built this. We created this thing that you paid all of that money for. So, actually, we don't own it in terms of shares or putting the money in or investing or whatever and making the decisions. And thank God, in some ways, that you know we're not running it. But we did create what was there. And I think that that that's that's part of the tension in modern football, isn't it? Is that people realise that why it's so valuable. But a lot of the people that have paid the money for it and that use it to make money off it actually don't really recognise why it is that 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 it's so valuable. Um, so you know, again, it's trying to sort of put across this thing about you know, it's 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 something that it's it's something that we created, and that's why the culture is important. And I think again that the thing that I kind of learned a bit while I was writing the book that you know, as much as any other Spurs fan, I've always done the kind of you know the, the, the Danny Blanchflower quote, you know, we want to play football the right way, not on the other side to to, to die of boredom. I actually realised how important the way that we play football is, and it's something that people that aren't Spurs fans think like you lot are being a little bit pretentious. You're a bit up yourselves, really, with all this quality football, this classy football. You know, you'd rather play well and lose than. Uh, and actually, the point is that we want to play well and win. That's the whole point of the game. But it is so important. Alan mentioned it earlier that people came to see that team in like the 1880s and 1890s and early 1900s because they play good football, mm. and that that's part of the DNA of this club. So, you know, the last time I really remember it manifesting itself was when George Graham was the manager. And I think a lot of Spurs fans didn't actually mind too much that he was ex-Arsenal. It was the sort of football that was being played. And it was at a really, really low... That's the lowest I can ever remember uh, being at this club with, 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 uh, with Sugar and, and, uh, and Graham yeah. in charge as well. And it was like we completely and utterly lost our identity. And I think we have got, with all the challenges and the problems there are now... I think we've got that back a little bit, but you know that's something that I learned as a Spurs fan from working on that book of how important the way of playing football is. And I actually think you mentioned Man United fans earlier on. I think, and I've always thought we've got a lot in common 
with Manchester United fans in terms of where they come from, what they see as a culture of their club, the fact they've stuck through second season. And again, I'm old enough to remember when both clubs were in the old second division, mm. you know, in the 70s as well. Uh, you know, the, the singing, the fan culture that goes on there as well. And the, the recognition of, of where we come from, despite the fact that we're both really big clubs. But Manchester United are about the style of football as much as anything else. And that's the real challenge they've got at the moment. You know, they've kind of gone to stuff as well. Mourinho, is he really what Manchester United are? Not. I'm not sure he is, actually. But, but that's for them to work out. Both clubs actually sing Glory, Glory. I mean, it's awesome. Well, they nicked it, yeah, yeah. They did, they did nick right. it. It isn't Glory, Glory, Man United either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Yeah. But, um, We're the only ones to sing the right words, aren't we? So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's the only song we didn't nick. To be fair, I think. Oh come on! We, we've got Mac one. Mac band. Oh, well, there's, there's Show three. me. I oh, wish yeah. we could we, sing that. We all sing along to Mac Miller's band, yeah, yeah. don't we? I, I do know all the words to that, and it's yeah. something I because eighteen eighty two. We're going to come on to eighteen eighty two, but briefly, you know, it's, that's the one song I wanted to kind of get going, and yeah. and one the, the actual one of the things I'm kind of proud of. Um, but as a part of 1882 is we didn't make the, the words for the songs up the song up but we perpetuated yeah. this song which is the Be In The Yid song that you hear yeah. uh, sung every every game now um, and some guy on our forum made up the words and then we just sung it on the podcast and then well, sang it I think it. that's a brilliant example of Spurs fans creating out of, out of quite a bad situation I know it's still a really controversial subject and again we've got a chapter in the book and we tried to cover you know we know a lot of Spurs fans don't agree on that as well but mm. to me that, that is an absolutely fantastic example of of independence of, of, of spirit and of mind dispersed what's as well. great about that word is like I've said it on the podcast many many times that the club will never be able to put that on a mug yeah, yeah. or on a t-shirt how did you go about approaching that tricky subject for the book um, well we just we wrote it in the same way that we wrote the rest of the book which is a social history which mm-hmm. is properly researched yeah. and it's it, it's factual I hope by Factual, it, mm. it, it it doesn't sound dull, but I think, I think it's, it's, it, it's, it. pro- yeah. it's properly researched. Mm. It is honest, and I don't think we can have any comebacks on it in in the sense that people will say um, it's not accurate. It's not right. Yeah, you know, we what, said, did you sort of cover some well, of the black shirt stuff? And yeah, yeah. I mean, what we were saying was that you've you, you've got um, a growth of Predominantly working class Jews coming into Tottenham, uh, mainly from the 1900s onwards. 1900s was one of the uh, uh, periods of influx of the immigration of Jews from Russia. In fact, my family came over at, at, at that time, settled in the East End, mm. not in Tottenham. Um, and um, t- to show you almost how, how rural and bucolic Tottenham was, the um, Jewish committee, I think it was a resettlement committee, was encouraging people to move all the way from Brick Lane to Tottenham because that was seen as a completely different mm. area to get out of the inner city. And what they found was that they, they wanted to um, assimilate. They wanted to be part of the community. And there's a whole strand of Judaism which is proud of the culture, but also you want to fit in. So you go to Shaw in the morning um, and then you go to football in the afternoon, which strictly speaking, you're not supposed to do. It's the Shabbos, and of course, the street, Hasidic Jews in, in Stanford Hill mm. are not going to do that. But that's what you do. You shrug, you park the car around the corner of the, from, from the synagogue so nobody can see it, <laughs> and then, then you're true. off. And, and that, they, they found a welcome there. Mm. So um, by the, the 30s, um, when you had this um, infamous uh, England-Germany game in 1935, 
uh, people were saying that up to a third of the crowd were actually Jewish. Now, I don't believe that, but it was clear that Spurs were not identified as a Jewish club, but they were identified as a club that a lot of Jewish people went to see. Whereas the Arsenal have got just as many Jewish fans as we have now, yeah. but they were more um, the middle-class Jews coming down from North London, attracted by the glamour, you know, the marble halls of Highbury in the 30s, um, the intellectual emigres went to watch the Arsenal, yeah. and that's one of the, the differences. Then you <clears throat> we move forward to the process that we became Yitz, which was not because we chose that title, but it was formed um, because we were abused. Yeah. And that was something that Martin and I were both going to football regularly then, and we could talk about on a personal level. Uh, if, you, if you talk to Jewish people, they were, they're always convinced, any Jewish Spurs fan is convinced that it started on such and such a day. So I went to an anti-Semitism event recently, and people were saying, yeah, it started in 1972 from Chelsea fans. No, it was from Charlton back in the 60s. And what they really mean is that nobody quite knows, but that's the first time they ever heard it. Sorry to cut you quick with yeah, it. Yeah. We've got, we had a guy write an article who thinks that he, him and his mates were a part of that, yeah. the first people to turn it mm. uh, and use it. I think he, he talks about it coming back from Leeds, and, and, and Leeds were being uh, okay. the ones that started it. Leeds, of course, a Jewish club, yeah. you know, who owned... Um, Owned uh, the chairman was a Jewish club, yeah. and a huge Jewish population yeah. going to watch Leeds. Yeah. Yet they're calling us kids. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And I, that, there's something magical about that that no one really knows. It's almost like a mythical uh, history. To, to, to there is, but it, it's, it's the groundedness of it as well. And we said earlier that, that the Spurs started off as a middle class club, but I think that, that that you know, and again, you know, how do you define class now? But I think Spurs have certainly got more of a what would be identified as a kind of traditional, from down to earth, kind of earthy, working class culture about it as well now. And that whole thing that because I was suspicious of that first of all, that uh, you know, again, I, when I grew up, you know, this whole thing was 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 starting to kind of bubble up about Spurs of the Yids and Spurs kind of singing, you know, Yids and doing it all back. That, and the way stories told, there wasn't some kind of meeting of some kind of, you know, committed kind of left-wing kind of political activists yeah. on the terrace who said, you know what we need to do, comrades, we need to turn this around and turn it back on the oppressors. It, it was just, and it's kind of dangerous territory because people said, you know, kind of, it's just a bit of banter, don't worry about it. But it was just earthy London working class street humour and, and response like, you're going to do this I'm going to stick it back at you mate yeah. and that's all it was there was no conscious decision to yeah. turn it into some and I, so I think sometimes on that side of the argument a little bit too much has been made of it but you know the way it's seen now is well actually let's talk about people that you know apparently abuse the Spurs fans as well but there is that kind of identity I can see why the club doesn't necessarily want to be identified as a Jewish club any more than as an English club or as a British club or as a this club or that or whatever they want to be a football club mm. and I, I can completely get that but it's what you said earlier it's something that's ours and actually yeah. you know it's never they're never going to put this on t-shirts or whatever and I've had arguments people say oh you should push the club to you know recognise it and get it on a flag and say oh, no. well yeah. if, if even if we did that, then then it's not ours anymore, is it? It's I think it's been taken people away. need to people need to disassociate or, or just detach the, the the PLC, the people that run the football club, and and, and us because we we're the club. That that part of it is our history, and I'm very very proud of it. I'm not even. I'm proud of the fact that we had to fight to keep it as well. It's all right, don't worry. I mean, that's a common sound, the uh, opening beer cans. Oh, I've <laughs> been on the fighting cop before. Though. That's right. Yeah. I was just, I thought this was the intellectual end of it. Yeah. Well, no, no, very much, supplement bit. You know? Very much is, very much is. But, uh, um, but yes, yeah, so I'm proud of the fact that we had, we had to fight it. And I, and I am regretful that it does offend people. And I, 
I do I do understand that, but I I, I take um I think I essentially take my lead from the the Jewish folk that I've spoken to, who who really embrace it and and love the fact. But but that but that, that, that that's not across the line. I mean, me and Alan have talked no. about this. I mean, Alan doesn't use the word. It doesn't make you feel comfortable to use it yourself. But you don't have a problem with other people using it in the context of, of football. I'm not Jewish, yeah. you know. I mean, I've, I'm half Irish, so I've had you know it's a, it's not comparing. But I've had you know heard a few things myself in my time as well. But 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 I I don't mind it. Uh, and I don't because I know that people aren't you know I know when somebody's being anti-Semitic and I know when they're not uh, and most of the people I see around me singing that, you an, uh, before, they're uh, not doing it Alan I want to get your take on it as well. <coughs> just, I, I spoke to a journalist uh, a writer called Alan uh, sorry Alan, uh, Jonathan Wilson not, oh, yeah. no, sorry, oh, not, 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 not the Guardian Wilson, journalist right. the less, there's another one isn't he he's written a book yes yeah. right exactly yeah, he's, he's American yeah, yeah, yeah. The less, a, lesser, a lesser Jonathan Wilson yeah. but no no lesser uh, no less ability but um he he was talking. I, I spoke to him about it, and he he's he's spoken about uh, this very oh. issue. And his son took him to his uh, first Spurs game. I think it might have been at Wembley actually. And he's walking, <laughs> he's walking along uh, Wembley Way, and and he's around him is Spurs fans, and all he can hear is "Yid Army, Yid Army, Yid Army." And he was like, "What is going on? Why are they shouting using that word? What's happening?" And his son went, "No, no, 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 no! Don't worry. This is they. You know, he felt yeah. fearful. And he said, "No, no, this is." They're saying it with pride, this this badge of honour type thing, and he was a bit confused. But then he was so moved that people would want to attach themselves to uh, a a group of people that's been through the mill, let's say. Mm. Um, that that he, he, he became a proponent for it. So look, this isn't an argument either way, and I understand where where the arguments come for and against. And I, I got to say, every time I do use it, and I do use it freely when I'm at football, I am aware. That it's loaded. That there are some issues around. But that's why we had to cover it. We we couldn't yeah. write. You know, it'd have been easy to go. You know, it's a bit controversial. Let's just leave that out. Yeah. Like, you yeah. cannot write a folk history of Tottenham Hotspur support without trying to talk about that and trying to include. You know, there's not a polemic in there. I think it's obvious what we think in that chapter. Yeah. But we we set out the arguments uh, and we quote people that, that are, are for and against. And, Did you speak and to David Bedell? Uh, we, we, we didn't. didn't we I'm we not didn't sure get he was to speak to us. Well, really. has he? And David, as I understand it, Martin has had some correspondence with you, and he certainly had some correspondence uh, with um, correspondence. a good friend of ours called Greg Fair Harris, who wrote uh, or still writes dispatches from a football sofa. Oh, an yeah, excellent I love that. blog. Um, who's a, a, a diehard Spurs fan, and um, has had some uh, correspondence, shall we say, with um, with David. Um, but what we ha- what we have done, as I say, this is a social history, so mm. we have put the other side. You do have to remember and to respect that a lot of um, Jewish fans, Spurs Jewish fans, uh, don't like it at all. Mm. Um, and um, we've included that because that is actually part of the history. Of course. Uh, I went to, as I say, this um, anti-discrimination event recently um, up at the Jewish Community Centre in, in um, Finchley Road. And um, the guy who was running it, we, we, we sort of fenced around this. They were talking about everything but. And then suddenly, um, you know, Pandora's box was open towards the end. And people were standing up and shouting at each other. You know, there were people saying, I'm a Spurs fan. And I think it should be banned. One bloke said, <clears throat> what Daniel Levy should do, should get the cameras. He should identify every single person in that ground who uses the Y word. And he should ban them totally wow. and get another 30,000 season ticket holders in. Now, is that how many things? No, it's first thing. That's no, that's the first thing. <coughs> and so I'm just giving you a flavour of 
I, I mean, the Board of Deputies are you know, very much against this, to, to put it mildly. Um, sorry, what do you mean the, the Board of Deputies? Sorry, the Board of Deputies, the Jewish Board of Deputies, who... Can you run a religion? You can't. You, you can. They're, they're, they're important in the religion. I okay. Um, so um, we've included that, um, and you know, Badil, for all his faults, he makes, I think, a valid point, which is that we, we say as first fans that we're reclaiming the word. What he says is that as um, the Goyim, the Gentiles, don't have any right to reclaim that Absolutely. word. Absolutely. Because it's not theirs. I, no, I agree. And and that's I, why I've never used it. <coughs> yeah. I, I, don't, so. I don't say we're reclaiming. I may have said it before. I forget that everything we say, I say about Tottenham's recorded. So I, 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 hang on if you would. I I make, obviously, well, obviously, well, all I'm saying is he, I'm e- easily made a hypocrite of myself. No, no, no. I've, I've said it. I'm, I'm, you know, don't tell your personal but what I would, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've said it. It, it is enough. Well, I think it is the process that happened. Yeah. But... But there, uh, what I'm saying is that there is there is a counter argument, and people can read the chapter and and make, and mm. uh, make up their own minds. It's actually been um, uh, a, a large extract from it was printed in the Jewish Chronicle. Yeah. Really, so, oh, well, that's yeah. so anti-Semitic so that the Jewish Chronicle <laughs> reprinted three thousand words of it. <laughs> it's a, Amazing. They've, uh, they've taken on. Yeah. The editor is a big Spurs fan, of course, but um, who doesn't like Badil at all, as I understand it. Brilliant. Allegedly. Um, as a caveat to your to your chapter, if I'm allowed. Um, is uh, I think actually the name, the word, uh, has. Tr- uh, fuck, why have I started this? What, if, what uh, has transformed, it now means two things. Mm. I get the etymology of the mm. word, but it means it's as much our word mm. as it is. Mm. That's, this is my position. Well, that, that, that's the, that's the great is, irony, is, wasn't it, of, of, is, the, of, of when the three fans were, were, were prosecuted, mm. and you know, that whole thing, and when it was the big thing that was raised a few years ago. I think that the use of that in various charts was dying out. Now, again, I've not I've not got any research to yeah. back that up. I've just got a observation in there as well. But now you're right. There yeah. are a lot of people that use it, particularly younger Spurs fans, who go, "That's Spurs, isn't it? Spurs are the Yids. Identity. That's, and that's it. And it's, it's an identity thing about as well. Identity. And, and, and they're Martin's absolutely right. stunned. You know, it's like, what, what political? What really? Yeah. But, you know, and again, there's arguments about that. Well, you know, do you need to educate people or not? And there's something I always find a little bit patronising about people saying that people need to be educated to think something that they think they should think. Yeah. But and I'm not against people getting more information about anything at all. But but you're absolutely right. For a lot of fans, it's just like it's our identity, and we're not, not going to let go of it. And there is barely a song that is now sung about a player that doesn't feature the word. Is there? You know, and it is that's it, in the last two or three years. It's unfortunate, but it is. Actually, do you know what? Let's not be categorical. Let's just leave it open there uh, and, and move on. I think. Um, well, I'm I'm saying it's okay. I mean, that's my view. That's, that's what, what we've, we've done in the book. Okay. You know, it, it's okay, and this is why, and that's what it says in the book. Can I, are you Jewish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I mean, that's it's okay for you to say that. Yeah, it's okay for me to say that, but I think it's okay for for you to say that. But it's also it's, and it's okay for me to have a position. But I think you're better place is what I'm saying. But there's also an argument that, that, that sometimes you kind of got to look at the you know it's, it, it opens up a little bit of controversy. But it's happened a little bit this season with with the you know the, the northeast corner of the of the ground losing four thousand seats and people have been moved around. So there's people that moved from the family stand, you know, what was identified as the family stand in North Stand, and they moved into the South Stand. The atmosphere is a little bit different there. Yeah, you know, I've seen. Uh, you know, we've had stuff with the trust, but we've also talked to people, people really complaining and just saying, like, I take my kids to a game and they're hearing people swearing. 
Right. And I think, I know it's a bit of a joke, I think, fuck me, really? Yeah. It's just, if you go to football, I'm sorry. And I mean, I take my kids to football, and it's the classic thing. And I was, you know, my family was never particularly into it mm. as well mm. for, for a whole host of reasons, which are not the, the subject of this as well, too boring. Um, but you, you kind of say that, you know, you're going to wear some words in here that you don't use when you're at home. And I'm sure that they get that. And we're all probably told that but when we were fun. kids and we that's went to games. And it's magic. Like, mm. that's part of it. But there's a point that, that, that we try to cover a little bit, but it's in and it's, you know, you're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to be plugging our own book, but I'll plug somebody else's. Adrian Tempany's book, which I'll keep going on about, um, And the Sun Shines Now, who's a Hillsborough survivor, but he talks about how football has changed. And he described, and he's about the same age as, as, as me and Alan, he said that, um, that when he started going to football in the early 1980s, football was one of the few places you could go as a kid into an adult environment on your own terms and you'd have to work out how to survive in that and yeah. you learnt a lot and it was a lot of a challenge yeah. and I think a lot of the time now and I'm as guilty probably as an ex-parent so I've never let my kids go on their own partly because they haven't got any other mates who are Spurs fans for, for a variety of reasons but they want to go with a date kids don't but go they on. can't get in anyway yeah. because I go with my mates who are season to get older so how can I get them into the ground plus kids are not it. Uh, who's got we all grew up like that didn't we all the three mm. of us grew up you know, largely, we were our, our adult sort of was formed by going to football as kids my, with adults. My in their fondest, environment. fondest memories and shaped who I am as a person have been about the conversations that I listened to that weren't a part of, but I listened to my dad's mates. And to be honest, my dad and his mates, in my opinion, now are kind of, you know, I wouldn't choose to hang around with them yeah, because yeah, of yeah, their political yeah, views yeah, and, yeah. and kind of borderline racism but but the uh, <laughs> but you should always say yeah. that about your parents yeah, anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your parents are probably quite pleased about that as well yeah, yeah nobody's well, like the same flat, music oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, it's fine I've, I've, I've said it many times I've even had that on the pod but anyway look it's um, it, that that's um, my how I how I became a Spurs fan and the kind of Spurs fan that I am after just football fan was formed germinated from those experiences in a pub and the rude language yeah. and doing something that was slightly taboo having a beer my first beer was at Tottenham yeah. like my dad gave me a beer because we were at football yeah. and I was maybe 13, 14 I, at home he would never dream of, of giving yeah. a beer in front of my stepmom you get fairly streetwise, don't you? You know how to you deal do. with people, and you know how to sort. And you know, there's there's a bit of a danger with that. And I said again, you know, I'm I'm probably as bad as the next, you know, modern parent as well. You know, I've got the kids who are 15, 11, and it's like actually, I think most fifteen year olds now, I look back and think of the things that we were doing when we were fifteen, and it's a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we we big, partly because we know, so we're just going, oh, don't don't do that. But that there is a problem. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to to get to get crackers and the bull and that chats about the pub in there because it was part of his growing up as well but also a lot of the characters that used to go into that pub that was people you know that that, that was a, that was a particular subculture that that, that, that was that, that was going on mm. and uh, there were some really really close solid friendships that came out of that as well yeah. and I think that's the other thing that you know all of us could probably say you look at the, the good mates that we've got now what's in common though that people that go back 10 15 20 30 you know go sort of up through the age groups around the table here but there's actually Tottenham is the connection there yeah. Uh, and it might sound a bit sad in a way but actually a lot of my most of my close mates are people that I've been going to Tottenham with for 25-30 years very same well it, and, and this is it, it, it's all about it, come, it comes back to identity that you know mm. unashamedly overusing the word on, on the podcast here mm. but the football provides a way of finding your identity you know as you were saying you know I went to I used to go to football sometimes with friends but mostly on my own because mm. I wanted to go and if Somebody else didn't want to go. It's all right. I'll go. And you just felt f- part of something. You yeah. could lose yourself in the crowd. It, you know, I was uncertain about identity. I was uncertain about, 
politics, friendships, etc. But I was certain about being Tottenham. Yeah. I was Spurs. Yeah. And for as long as I can remember, I can't even remember when I started, but as long as I can remember. And now, you know, the one thing I know is that I'm Spurs. Also, it enables me to communicate with my kids, with my granddaughter comes with me now, um, and you can start, you, you, you're talking to her about the world, you know. She asked me about the id thing, right? Mm. So my son said, oh no, ask granddad, ask granddad. <laughs> and you, you could talk to her, you know, because she was asking about, uh, How about, old is she? about the song, she's 11. Right. You know, she was asking about the song. And I could say I could, I could explain what you know, um, you know, singing the sun, singing the rain, yeah. singing France, singing in Spain. I, I could explain to her what that was, and I could explain to her actually, there's a bit of meaning here, you know, that it's about what Spurs do everywhere we go. We, you know, we've been everywhere, and then something is important. How to did us. she take it though? Yeah, she said, yeah, thanks, Granddad. That you makes know. sense. Yeah, and I think she sings along, and I said to her, you can sing along at Spurs, you don't use that outside this ground. Yeah. You do not use that outside this ground, okay, Granddad? Yeah. And she gets that, and she 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 can feel that she is part of yeah. something, and it is part of the of, of you know it's the navy blue and white, and she can feel that. And, and that's that, that's important. That that's our definition. And I think the other thing that, that, that we we you know sort of put words in your mouth, Adam, but I think what we learn quite a lot about in the book is that we we made a conscious effort to talk to. Uh, some of the international support and obviously that's the big thing that's changed yeah. probably in the last 20 years that's a Premier League thing as well um, I, I've been amazed with you know again some of the contact we have is through the trust but I've been on that Hotspur America podcast as well the hunger that there is among American fans yeah. who are fairly new to the sport <coughs> you, admit, you know yeah, yeah. I, I kind of decided that I wanted to get into English Premier League soccer yeah. and I, I chose a club and I chose Spurs because of whatever they really want to know about the culture yeah. uh, and there is a suspicion and, and probably all of the three of us are a little bit more of the kind of like you know we're proper Tottenham and all these other people they're, they're kind of from outside and we, again we talked a little bit earlier about this concept of like tourists yeah. at football well you know what's a tourist is it is it you know I went to the Norwegian Spurs supporters uh, AGM uh, Christmas before last right they're the biggest overseas Spurs supporters club. Just sort of fancy there's, it. There's, 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 they, well, they, they invite, invite, they invite oh, us right, right, to come along right. and, and bore us because, you know, we're going to get really drunk. Go along to their agent. Yeah, exactly. Amazing social life as well. And No, but it was really good, really hospitable people. But there were people there who lived in Norway, who got season tickets, who go to every home game, and they go to most away games as well. Now, they're obviously pretty well off, different kind of profile as well. But so are they tourists? Are they, or are they proper Spurs fans? And, and actually, um, you know, so that, there's that whole challenge that we've got amongst ourselves as well, is just that because we're, we're, we're as bad football fans and Spurs fans may be more than other <laughs> fans of clubs, but we, you know, we're very fond of saying you're a proper fan, you're not a proper fan as well. Well, how are we defining that? What's that, the, let's, let's define well, what is that. the right way to be challenged? What, what, what is the right way to support <coughs> Tottenham? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, is it that you pay your money? Is it about being allowed? Is it ensuring that the club are held to task if, if they're doing things the wrong way? I would say after writing the book, actually, even more, uh, and I usually use 100 words for a five will do, but boiling it down <laughs> to the five, um, it's understanding why we play good football and why we have to play good football. Mm. That, that, and I think everything else flows from that. I think the well, noise glory of singing... success, that kind of thing. Uh, no, no, it, it's, it's glory and success. I've never got this that people think that it has to be one or the other. That's what that Danny Blanc's lower quote was about. Mm. You know, he said it's about winning and winning in style and not about waiting for the other side to die of boredom. Mm. And the winning and the style bits were equally important in that quote. 
every time Spurs have been successful, it's because we've played good football. Mm. And <clears throat> you go right back to the growth of the club in the in the, in the mid late in eighteen eighties, nineteen oh one when we won the cup, nineteen twenty one, and then Arthur Rowe and the double team, both of them in their own way pioneers of a form of football. All of them are doing it for one reason: you play good football, yeah. and that's why people came to came to see him. I think part of being the Spurs is, I think there's a lot of independence amongst Spurs fans. Uh, uh, you know, in a sense, the answer to your question is, well, don't tell anybody what to do. Just get behind the team, um, and that's why I, uh, not saying this just because you're here, but I, that's why I love 1882 and love the shirt. Because fundamentally, get behind the team. There's mm. no political agenda. Um, you know, there are political agendas in in, in other uh, forms and other things that you do and say. But number one, get behind the team. Yeah. And and I, I think I think that is so powerful because it can easily get lost these days. There is so much rubbish going around in social media and attitudes and people telling other people what to do. Um, but that's what we do. You know, we get behind the team. And um, I hope. That the the new end in the new ground, if they can price it right and get the admission right, can recreate some of that terrace anarchy. It will never be the same. Right. But if they can just let people in, let them get on with doing what they want to do, and they get behind the team, mm. then it's going to be magic. Um, if it starts being segregated or rigid or something, or people being priced out of it, then it's going to be a problem. <clears throat> you know, I can't I can't see Spurs fans. Do you know what the Arsenal fans do about the, you know if there's an online poll. You know they're always on. They're always on this online poll. Yeah. They win everything. Mm. You can't tell Spurs fans what to do. They're just going to tell it to Nat. Yeah, yeah. You know, get on I this mean, poll. The off, worst thing you can do as a Spurs fan is be seen as trying to tell Spurs fans what to do. I mean, you lot have had that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good segue. That's a good segue to eighteen eighty two and uh, um, the kind of AMF type <coughs> attitude to certain aspects of, the, uh, of our support. I think one of one of my biggest. I, I've, I've had a lot of stick over the last five years and I really nothing, none of it bothers me anymore largely for me obviously <laughs> yeah 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 I, none of it bothers me anymore really at all um, because I kind of feel like if I'm doing something I'm kind of doing it from the right place and, and if yeah. this is going to upset some people then, to yourself. then so be it yeah kind of thing um, but one thing that did hit me was um, when we when we were doing the 1882 stuff is that it was in somehow devaluing the history of our support, or that it wasn't in, uh, it wasn't traditional, authentic Tottenham support. Uh, one thing that really got to me as well was it's kind of never something that we intended to do was to to set uh, that it was some sort of manufactured support, mm. other than anything, just getting like like-minded fans together. Um, but by the same token, I could understand why certain old-school fans of a, of a certain age. Um, didn't well, were irritated by it in eighty two and 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 looked here as a, a kind of an affront on how they support it, because the fact is is the atmosphere did did die. European football under under the lights before eighteen eighty two became a thing was was pretty poor. It was it was quite a quiet quiet time. I mean, I remember a game I went to see. It was two all. Stoyer Bucharest. Uh, Huddleston scored a, a header. I don't know if you remember that game, yeah. right? And I sat there, and it was maybe 20,000 in the stadium, 25,000 in the stadium. And I sat there with um, some guy who was trying to sell us advertising to give me a free ticket. And I sat there and I was like, this is shit. 
this is this isn't doesn't feel like Tottenham. All right, the Spurs players are playing out. The, 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 the players are playing. Uh, the Spurs fans around me, but it's just dead. Mm. Like, where's these famous glory glory nights? And I thought it wasn't at that moment because it wasn't even my idea. Eighteen eighty two, and I never claimed that it was. But I kind of walked away for it in a bit hollow. And uh, and then we we kind of come up with this this idea to get people and people. I won't go through it again, but people know what the, the history of the eighteen eighty two movement. And we kind of um, kind of when we managed to get it up and running in its pomp against Dnipro is a great a great game. Um, uh, Maribor as well that that was great these people are not interested in these games but in our block or our block in inverted mm. commas there was 800 people who felt the same way mm. it didn't matter who that opposition it's, it's, was what people don't understand is that you know, some, sometimes and sometimes being used advisedly things do just happen most of the time people need to make things happen mm. as well so you can't over organise stuff but what you lot did is that you got a few asses and you did something about it. And actually what you did was probably more, I think I would probably agree if somebody said Spurs are probably more about singing and being loud than any kind of like, you know, TIFO. To, to me, that's a little bit of a... Me too. You know, that, that's an I important thing. Not, I've got any problem with, you know, culture from anywhere else as well, but it's not, it's not ours, it's not what we do. Flags are a different thing now. The, the flags thing has been an interesting argument. And, I, you know, when it came out, I'd written a book, somebody accused me of, like, being the co-chair of the trust who's written a book telling us how to support our team. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm doing, that's right, because I really think I can do that, don't I? What, what a load of nonsense. But that's how people would take it, and yeah. that's back to the stuff that you had as well. Um, but the, the flags thing has been interesting because people have complained long and hard about how come the Germans can get in, they can do this, that and the other, how come this happened at Wembley. The last game at Wembley, the Leverkusen game, is a really good example, right? Mm. The Tottenham AFF, AMF lads, right, crowdsourced 200 flags. The club had another 200 flags in there. Right. I was in the in the what the, in the, the designated the singing section. Yeah, the club had flags in there as well. I was in what was the designated singing section, and I'm slightly uncomfortable with that. But all yeah. right, let, let's all gather, and you've done that. Yeah, 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 that yeah. games as well. That's what 1882 was about. People kind of turned up there thinking, I'm in the atmosphere section, so give me some atmosphere. It's no, 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 you're creating it. I saw people taking the flags in and putting them under their seats and waiting for the atmosphere to get going. Right. Meanwhile, on the other end, the Germans flags, all the rest of it, they're waving them around. But they're really organised. Right? That Dortmund game at White Hart Lane last year, everyone said, how come they got all their flags in, nobody else did as well? You know, I bet they didn't have fire certificates, they bloody did. Right? It's, a, it's a bit of the old joke about you know, the well-organised Germans. They had every health and safety, fire certificate, whatever. And then the, the banner that came up, which was the, you can stick your Super League up your ass, right? Because they had all that stuff, they managed to smuggle it in, so they used their nuts mm. as well. But would Spurs fans would English football fans take that would they take a guy standing on a bench on the front of the, with a megaphone going right now we're going to chant this now we're going to sing that no, but I, wouldn't I don't think that. we would I don't well. want that so, either so, but people have this thing don't they they go like oh you know it's outrageous all these other people are doing this okay well that's because they're really organised okay and that's because they do it their way yeah. what we need to do is concentrate on doing it our way and actually what we want is not to be over organised we just want to get on with it yeah. and I think that what you did is you gave people the space and an opportunity to say yeah. if you want to go and sing and make a bit of a noise and remember that it's about love the shirt rather than just like you know if we're good we're going to be owned and, but if we're not we're not because otherwise we like that we might as well go and support Arsenal mm. or Chelsea or you know any of glory hunting teams what I'd hope with the club going forward is that they don't I, I would love them to talk to us about uh, about uh, organising a section in the ground where like-minded fans can sit together, I really would. I, I, I kind of feel that they won't. But, uh, but uh, I think they will. But I think that you know, and I've sat in meetings with you, and I've talked to, to some of the AMF a lot as well about this as well. And I, I'm a bit worried about it because what 
this goes back to the kind of you know the cultural historian stuff that that, that what what capitalism always does what the, what our society always does is that it co-ops rebellion right and it makes it its own so now like, you know the music that i was listening to in the 70s and 80s which was like alternative rebel music is now being used by multinational companies to sell their phones yeah. and their tvs and their cars and their clothes and things like that and i think there's always that problem is is that we want to be talked to uh, we want that kind of alternative culture. We want that challenge to be to be taken on board and to have some kind of help because there's no point just standing outside a building and shouting in. But also, when you become totally co-opted, that's when you lose it as well. And I think we're we're all all aware of that. And you know, the trust is is that the trust as an organisation is an organisation that has to do a particular job. So we're kind of small C conservative, if you like, as well. Yeah. And we've always had that relationship with you. Where we say, you do what you do, we do what we do, and we'll kind of help you out. There's different ways that the fans can get involved as well, but I think that 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 kind of edgy culture, in the same way that the club will never print a T-shirt with Yids and official THFC merchandise on it as well, and we think that's a good thing. I don't think we want it to be taken over. No, and it goes back to the book again. The reason that we wanted to write a book and get it out there was to say that this stuff is important as well. And I think the proudest I was without going into this kind of media bubble thing, but there's a journalist called Michael Calvin who I've got a lot of respect for. He's one of the first people he picked up on Deli Alley, actually, when he used to cover MK Dons. Wrote a great book about Millwall. And he read the book and said that he knows both both me and Anna a little bit just through you know writing and, and Twitter and everything. And he said that the next time a shiny-suited marketing man tells you that a football club is just a business, tell them to read that book. And I thought, we've got it. Somebody gets it. Yeah. That's, that, nice. that's what yeah. it's about. See, I... You know, love, uh, 1882 and love the shirt. Um, my son Tom and I went to the, the Charlton game, the, the, the youth game. Did you really? Oh, the yeah, very yeah. first one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I went out to Barnet. You were at Barnet. You went out to Barnet. That was my first one game, yeah. And what happened was, and <coughs> I'm putting this out there, if anybody's got any doubts about love the shirt, yeah. is that people turned up, they had a few drinks, and they sang songs. Yeah. There was no organisation. Mm. It was just about people who wanted to be there yeah. and they loved the shirt. You know, I didn't know any of those yeah. youth Well, in fact, well. it was so unorganised that the, the bionic well, was. one was different. Is that the bionic mm. one, there was, a, there was a smoke bomb incident, wasn't there, as well? And I think all of us knew that, you know, there's there's a whole different debate about smoke bombs. And mm. it's like, if it had been organised, we just said, like, let's not do that one at the moment. That's it, yeah. <laughs> as well. But that, that went off when the coming yeah. teams come out as yeah. well. And, and I'm a bloke who wants to, <coughs> you know, wants to get me on the team, yeah. you know, ultimately. Mm. So, so I turned up. What you've also got to remember is that um, adopts cultural historian voice is that what we now call terrorist culture is actually a relatively limited period in the history of football, which we chart in, in a bit in the book. So, for example, the idea of chants and singing uh, uh, and getting behind the team is relatively recent. I mean, it emerged in the sort of um, early mid sixties. Mm. Before that. People came, they sat, they may have sung some songs of the day and they got behind the team. But there's no real evidence um, in, say, the 30s, 40s, 50s of there being any uh, chance or songs to actually lift the team. People just <coughs> made a noise. You know, the Tottenham Roar was, was famous, well, well known around the country about the noise that they did to get behind the team. Mm. But it wasn't about <coughs> singing and songs. <coughs> so... And you also got to remember that I'm old enough to remember that the so-called glory days, I mean, I can remember going to most mo seasons when most of the, the crowds were around or below 20,000, of course, mm. where, you know, you could, you know, you can go and get a drink at, um, during the game and come back and, and drink on the terraces. 
and you probably didn't miss anything to be honest because there was nothing much going on <clears throat> so <clears throat> I think what fans need to do is to take some of that but it, it's ours now you know, yeah. it, it is modern it is contemporary it is the future and it is um, uh, something that we can make ours mm. it will be different it won't be mimicking the terraces of the old days because that was a particular mm. historical being you, you, you can't pretend and football fans don't do pretending very well no. they've got to make something their own so whether that includes flags whether that includes spontaneity um, whether that in, in, includes um, it, it won't as Martin says include any organisation because that's not what we do you know I love watching the Dortmund fans but the British fans we don't do that so, I, and it's know, not going to that, that so. was the first I, I've, I've always I've loved I've loved Dortmund's support and it's kind of world famous now isn't it but that game against it probably partly because we got dicked but the looking down at their support and while I admired it I just looked at it and I thought it's great that they support and, that, and they're happy with that kind of thing but I wouldn't want it that way I wouldn't want that it's not us mm, sure. the, the not problem us. is going to be creating something in the new ground and um, you know you can see the disaster that's happened at West Ham you know in all seriousness the Hammers have got a culture of their own I'd love to read the people history of West Ham because mm. they are you know, perhaps the one club in London that, that, that apart from Spurs that has got a real people's history absolutely they have their own culture mm. and what happened is you know never mind how far away the, the stands are from the pitch that board took said that they were they were looking after their own fans yeah. that they understood and respected the fans and what they did was shit on them from an enormous height absolutely i'm not, I'm not even sure they said that because what right. i what i saw their board do and they were clever their board said to their fans let's do spurs let's get one over on that right, right. and now they're realizing that actually the board were getting one for themselves it doesn't really matter we don't give a shit right one way or the other and they actually didn't have any input into that and what's happened interestingly enough out of that and what, what you're saying is right is that you know they have got a probably a more genuine kind of culture and tradition than a lot of clubs in London as well um, is that they're starting to organise themselves a little bit now yeah exactly um, so you know there's always a little spark isn't there that, that, that makes people do something so we'll see what happens with that but that's an example of them not having any connection with the board and the board being allowed to define what their club is about and actually the people and you know I, it's a cliche but club owners are temporary. We've been here all the time since the club started and we will all be here you know, when it finishes. And when I say we, it's the people that we hand it on to that come up behind us as well. It's the support we pay to go in. I think that's a good way to end because that, that's essentially a sentence that sums up the book, I think, and, and, and the importance so. of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was my feeling of it. Uh, yeah. I just want to say thank you to, to you, Alan, and, and Martin for coming in again and... and, and and speaking on the Fighting Cock podcast, we're often very silly on the pod, talking about things that we wouldn't want our mothers to hear. But um, but we are really interested in the important things around the club. And don't worry, I can bring it down, Flash. <laughs> I always down, complain. Yeah. I always say when I've been on the Fighting Cock, so it's always to talk about. You know, okay, let's talk about ticket prices or about you know yeah. some, some really important issue about police. It's like can, can we just talk about the football and have a laugh? You know? Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, which is the boring section anyway. So it's not. But at least you're at Alan this time. So kind of tap that down. It reinforces, like I said at the beginning of the pod, it reinforces what is special about Tottenham and everyone needs to realise that every now and then that it's the, there's so much more to our football club than the 11 people that play on the pitch and obviously the shirt that they wear is more important than, than the person in it, although they are very special and dear to us as well. Uh, how do you get a book? Where, where can you find it if anyone wants to pick one up? Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Uh, 
Amazon. Can't walk down um, the street with it for no one, can you? It is, it is a, it's a proper book. It's published by Pitch Publishing, mm-hmm. so you can get it from their website. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and if you look under the Amazon sellers, it is substantially cheaper, I think, than currently Amazon. I think the current price is a ridiculously low 10 quid. Mm. Um, and if you go from somebody else, um, then you won't have to buy it from a company that doesn't pay its taxes, of course. Absolutely. Having said that, of course, mm. um, you can also get it on Kindle. So if you want to get it on Kindle, do that and sort the. Tax you get it on your iPhone. Get it on your iPhone. Yes, yeah. yeah. You download Kindle Play yeah. onto your iPhone. Just find it, yeah. and you can K- buy it. Kindle yeah. Play, yeah, you can buy it. It's only yeah. seven forty nine, I think, yeah. on Kindle, yeah. and it is available in all good bookshops. And here comes the cliche joke. Some bad ones as well. Brilliant. <laughs> but we would encourage everybody to pay full price yeah. from the publishers so that we get you know huge amounts of money and we can finish paying for the yacht that we've just bought. Yeah. We're yeah. famous and influential writers. Can I get yeah, uh, yeah, might yeah, I get a sort yeah. of timeshare on that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Next time we play in Monaco, then uh, you know, if there it, is yeah. a next time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've brought and it on, all back. Haven't on, I? <laughs> on the royalties, we, we can barely afford a little rubber boat for the bath. But yeah. There you go. No one writes books to earn money anymore. That's that's a fact. But it's just good mm. that people like you too. J.K. Rowling does. Apart from her, obviously. Yeah. Maybe you should write one about Tottenham. Um, yeah, just a quick reminder that uh, the Fighting Cock are doing a live show on the 21st of January for the Man City away game. You haven't listened to the latest pod, but we, we did announce it then. Uh, we're, we're very excited about it. Um, it's for everybody who can't get to that game. Uh, we're setting up a place in London for fellow Spurs fans to get together and watch the game together. Because there's nothing worse. The amount of time we saw online of people talking about so they want to know where a Spurs pub is and then you get there and there's like 10 Spurs fans and there's gooners everywhere this is very much going to be a, a zone for Tottenham fans we're going to be watching the, the game together 250 of us watching the game together we're going to do a live show and a live version of Barley's Brain Busters as well um, so the tickets will be on sale at some point price point that we haven't agreed yet but we'll just be looking to cover our costs which are expensive getting a place in Shoreditch to to, to house that agreeing that agreeing to house 250 people is or Spurs fans or football fans is, is quite a difficult thing but we're making brilliant headway and that's definitely going to happen 21st of January alright it's been another episode of The Fighting Cock thank you Alan thank you mine we'll see you soon great pleasure it's the fighting it's the fighting cock it's the fighting Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. 
Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.